First Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen? You may be seated. Back in Buffalo, which was certainly well past my prime of physical fitness and um, skill, we'll just leave it at that, Uh, we decided a a few of us guys and gals would get together and uh, resurrect our high school and early adulthood dreams, and we would play indoor soccer. And uh, somehow I got the responsibility of, of coaching this Motley crew so So in essence, I functioned as a player coach. I would be on the field, and I was also supposed to be coaching the team. Well, one of the things that you really quickly realize, especially when you're out of shape and you're playing indoor soccer, is that when you come off the field to supposedly coach, it's hard to coach when you're sucking air. When you're gasping, when you're trying to to get, it's really hard to coach and say, yeah, we got, just go do something, right? It's like, it's just like put people out there. Now, the fun thing was that we were a bunch of friends and so we kind of knew each other and I didn't have to provide a whole lot of coaching. But in this world, there are different leadership capacities and components and and you may hear of businesses that are going towards a player coach mentality in their business. But there's also a very stern warning in the business world because oftentimes player coaches turn into player players. And that is the coach no longer actually manages the team but just begins doing more work. There's a warning in that. There's a warning in player coach sports scenarios. Some have been successful but not many. And so there are appropriate sections of leadership for appropriate environments and organizations. And it's important to understand the system and the right approach to running it to know what that looks like. Some places the player coach works. Some need more formalized management in the journey. And this morning as we look to what Peter is writing to the church I believe the main idea that we need to hold on to is that God desires that we live out scriptural principles of spiritual leadership. Scriptural principles to spiritual leadership. So I would say early on in American history and early on in the economy of America, organizations, corporations, companies took leadership principles from scripture to apply to themselves. But as we have continued to journey, what is taking place is that leadership in the world has morphed, but the church has now turned and said, let's grab the leadership principles of the world and bring them into the church. 
so we've begun to reverse some things very painfully in ways. And in contrast to the world's perception on leadership, which may include those who make the most money or who make money the quickest, those who command a room with their charismatic personality, those who may have led strong business ventures or commanded armies. In contrast to that, Peter provides us with a perspective of spiritual leadership for the church. As he begins chapter 5, he starts with, in the ESV, a two-letter word. It's not a dirty one. So, some of our Bibles may have a different translation which simply says, therefore. And we need to continuously be reminded of what the therefore is. Therefore, and so we look backwards and we discover that as Peter prepares to talk about spiritual leadership in the church, he's coming out of the context of suffering. He's coming out of the context of brothers and sisters in Christ who are who are struggling with their, their place and their position and their value and how they're going to make it through the suffering and the trials and the temptations that this world is bringing upon them. And Peter takes that, and, and we talked about it last week, and, and how to walk through that with an appropriate attitude. And he goes, with the suffering in mind, therefore, let me bring you to this point. And Peter starts with a very key concept. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. When Peter comes to the church and begins to address the church, the leadership in particular, he doesn't come to them and says, now as an apostle, let me tell you what to do. Rather, he says, as a fellow elder, let me remind you of what you are to do. This morning is a process of reminding, hopefully not so much instructing. As we consider this idea, we need to keep in mind two other passages of Scripture which address the qualification of elders. And I'm going to invite us to turn to them, to read them so that we have them as a backdrop. First Timothy chapter 3. To turn a few books back, First Timothy chapter 3. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but I believe it's important that as we enter into this idea of what is spiritual leadership from a scriptural standpoint, it's important to know who it is that we are looking at in these capacities. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be. I would encourage you to underline this, to circle this, to highlight this, because here's the deal. Over the next several months, you better be looking for this. I'm not saying I've perfectly exemplified it for you. and I'm sure you could all share in helping me to understand my failures in that. Lovingly, of course, right? But this is the characteristic that you are looking for in somebody who will be coming to pastor OCC. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Just a side note. We believe, for the most part, the interpretation of that is children who are in the house. Once they become adults, you can't control what they say and do. So so as you look at somebody in this position of elder and, and pastor, you don't look for somebody who's got perfect children all the way through. You say, if there are kids in their house, the larger question is, uh, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? What's the relationship between the husband and the wife? The marriage. How is that? How is that held? How is that managed? Uh, verse six: He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And then turn to Titus, which is just a few pages over. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of God, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. These are the qualifiers. These are the things that, that Paul puts in place to say, who's qualified? Now, everybody that meets those qualifications aren't necessarily put into the position. But if those qualifications aren't met, they shouldn't be put into the position. And as we understand it in the New Testament church, and, and why, why Paul in particular tells Timothy to, to uh, appoint these individuals to these leadership positions, is because we believe that what happens is as we know people, especially in, a, in an area, right, in a, in a relational-based area, those people begin to rise to the surface. So the reality is we have some individuals in here who function as elders without the title or the job responsibility because they rise to the surface because these are people, believe it or not, that our hearts long to see to have leading us. And so it's with that in mind that Peter then begins his exhortation here. As well as a partaker in the glory that he's going to talk about that is going to be revealed. Here's the instruction. First of all, spiritual leaders, you need to shepherd. You need to shepherd. Now keep in mind, elders are under shepherds. Right? The great shepherd is Jesus. So as the under shepherds follow Jesus, the under shepherds are given the responsibility to shepherd the flock. There is within it this idea of feeding and keeping and tending the flock. Turn really quick to Acts chapter 20. 
your fingers nimble, get your digital devices quick to access. Acts chapter 20, as you turn there, just keep in mind, Paul calls for the elders in Ephesus so that he can kind of give them one last group of instructions and, and encouragement. And he goes through this process of identifying how there will be wolves that come among sheep. And they will look like sheep. And he's reminding them they're called the shepherd. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And how important is this? Which he obtained with his own blood. Elders, formal or not, spiritual leaders, we must keep in mind that the souls that we tend to have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. We can never take casually the responsibility that we've been granted. We'll, we'll celebrate communion later, remembering the blood that has been shed. But the moment in time, and I, and I know this is kind of a scary conversation to have because we're kind of like in a world where abuses have happened. People walk away from the church because abuse has happened in church leadership. Well, let me encourage us, if we would look for the right people to put into the right places at the right time, less abuse would occur. And if we're not looking for people to shepherd our soul, then we're looking for the wrong people. It's really easy. By the way, even a few weeks ago when I when I knew that I was going to announce last week that I was leaving, this had not been all put together. So it's a great time to coach and to teach and instruct down the future. But if we're not looking for somebody who can shepherd, but only somebody who can run a business, we've got a big problem. Because the responsibility of an elder is to shepherd, which, by the way, I'm an elder that sits in the role and the function of pastor. Okay? We need to shepherd well. In today's media age with social media and printed media and all of technology that there is, please understand there is a plethora of theological garbage at our disposal. And it becomes the shepherd's responsibility to help us navigate the heap of rubbish. So many of us want to go and just flit and float about on the internet to find what affirms things that we believe to be true rather than filtering them through fixed structures. Oh, that sounds so good. I must like that. Oh, but, but the elders, the pastor doesn't agree with it, so I'll just go somewhere else where they might agree to it. This, brothers and sisters, is what's happening with sexual identity. Oh, well, this church doesn't adhere to and won't warmly welcome. So I'll just go to this church that will. We, we have a responsibility, elders, to be intentional. These theologies, this garbage, this rubbish will mask itself as orthodox evangelical Christian. And yet it's far from it. Part of the role of spiritual leaders is the assessment of the nutritional value of the food. And the nutritional status of the flock. 
notice we don't take a poll to see what you want me to preach on. For one, I'd be terrified about what might come back. I know one would be Song of Solomon. I know another would be Revelation. I know another. (laughs) But rather, in a process of discernment, I generally present to the elders. Here's what I feel God is leading me into. And we talk about whether we feel that is correct and whether we believe that God is leading us in that conversation at that time. So maybe at some point in time, God will, will drive me to teach the Song of Solomon or Revelation or Romans or something else. At this point in time, he won't. But it is the responsibility of the spiritual leaders to be attentive to these things. Secondly, spiritual leadership is to oversee carefully. If we're not overseeing then we don't know the nutritional health of the flock. If we're not paying attention to what's going on, if rather we're cloistered in a back room only praying and looking at Scripture and not engaged with people, we don't have a clue what's taking place. And so part of shepherding is overseeing, to exercise oversight. It's it's challenging. Brothers and sisters, it is challenging for the shepherds to oversee the church if they don't know who their flock is. This goes two ways. The elders being attentive to who is present, but the flock saying, I'm part of this shepherding. Larry talked about covenant partnership, membership. That is the number one way that a a group of overseers identifies who has been entrusted to my care. Those who make that proclamation, I'm committed to this flock and I'm committed to this body. But in overseeing carefully, Peter says, one, it needs to be done willfully. I've journeyed with overseers who begrudgingly step into the role and the position. And it's a struggle then, the remainder of the time. For everybody. For everybody. There needs to be a a, a willingness. Peter says, not under compulsion. He, He gives these two sides, right? Not under compulsion. I will confess that I've used the guilt trip at times. You are spiritually mature, you are qualified, you can teach, why are you not in it? But the reality is the Spirit of God needs to do a work in the individual's lives to bring them into alignment because if they're not doing it willfully, then it creates trouble for everyone involved. This isn't something a leader needs to be forced to do. It's not healthy to have them forced into it. Secondly, he says that we should oversee eagerly. Not for eager gain or not for shameful gain. First Peter chapter, first Timothy chapter three, verse one, we read it already. Paul actually says that one of the qualifiers is that they desire this noble task, that there's something in their heart. Now, here's the reality. If you've never been an elder, as an elder, we sit here and go, why would you want this task? And yet, It's the work of the Spirit of God in the soul of the individual saying, you need to go after that. 
But he says, not for, for eager gain. See, as we read through scripture, we realize Paul exhorts the church to pay their teaching elder. Okay? So it wasn't uncommon that some of the elders got paid in the early church. But what Peter is saying here is that shouldn't be your motivation. It shouldn't be a motivation that you go, oh, oh, so kind of like a side hustle. I can, I can, I can do this. And then as my side hustle, I could, you know, teach a Wednesday evening or a Friday afternoon or a Sunday evening, or I could do, no, Peter's saying it's not for eager gain. If that is present, if it's compensatory to the role, so be it. But don't be eager for that. Keep in mind, when we start talking about oversight, keep in mind the elders will have to give an account directly to God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. As elders, we will give an account. Why? Because it's the blood of Jesus that's been shed to purchase the flock. And if we mishandle that, that is detrimental to us. As Zach prayed this morning, you know, it's it's not just a role, it's a calling to be in. That, that is that willing, eager, God is calling me to it, so I need to be there. Now what's interesting is that from time to time, there are individuals who want to be there, but aren't qualified to be there. So the challenge then becomes... Can we disciple for somebody that has a heart to be there? Now, we can ask, why is the heart there? Is it for eager, shameful gain? I don't know. But the question is, can we disciple to get the character up on par with the desire to allow for the calling to then be released into action? Oversee carefully. We don't take this lightly. This is not something that we kick back and Great example. Christina at times has been frustrated that when we as elders want to know what are you leading the women through, especially early on when relationship wasn't there, because we had responsibility to oversee the souls under our care. In relationship, you don't have to be so micromanaging in the process. Do we still want to know? Yes. Do I inquire of Mark what the guys are doing on Friday mornings and he shares with me when I fail to inquire? Are we aware of the studies that are going on Wednesday evenings? Or yes, because that's our responsibility. We want health. We want vibrancy. We want life in the fullness of it. So elders are to oversee carefully. Finally, they are to shepherd, oversee, and they are to exemplify. Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We lead not by position of authority, but elders should lead by position of example. In other words, elders don't lead from behind pushing the flock. Elders lead in the midst of the flock helping them to see where to go and how to get there. A couple passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
famous one from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The very end of the chapter, he's talking about our favorite subject of food. Uh, whether we can or can't eat certain foods. And he jumps down to verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do, uh, as I try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imitate me only in so much as I imitate Christ. Hebrews chapter 13. Writer of Hebrews writes in verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So remember, we are under shepherds. As elders, we are under shepherds. We are under Christ. We follow Christ. And yeah, our lives are not perfect because we still struggle with the flesh. But as we follow Christ, the invitation is to follow us. It's not the demand to follow us. The hope is that we live in such a capacity that there is a desire to go, I like the direction they're going. Even if I don't agree with it, all of it, I like the direction they're going because I see Christ in them. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders, staying true to mission, there is a reward. There is a reward. All the pain, all of the suffering, all of the heartache, all of the arguments, all of the naysayers, all of the fill in the blank is worth it to stay the mission for the unfading crown glory. This is the reason that at OCC we don't elect elders. We affirm elders. And and while some of us might come to annual meeting and go, well, what's really the difference? There's names and we put a check mark, yes or no, and all that kind of stuff. There's a big difference because in that process, that election affirmation, we ask a big question of us, don't we? Remember? Affirm. Terry Googer. Yes or and if no, please provide a reason with your name on there. We don't elect Terry for the role of elder. If Terry's not an elder or or if he's done something in his life that cuts him from being an elder, the qualifications are no longer met then he should not be affirmed as an elder, but there should be relational understanding as to why that is. So we don't elect. We believe that they rise to the cream, if you would, at the top. While procedurally it looks similar, it's different at the heart. See, election is often based on what I want. Think about it. I elect what I want. Whether you did or not at the last presidential election is indifferent at this point in time. But if we 
voted, we probably elected what we wanted in the process. I say that because most of us would affirm that we wish there was a third option in candidates. One that was more highly qualified, one that was more highly sought, one that... But in the end, we didn't get to affirm somebody that would be appointed to the position. We elected based on what we want in the process. Affirmation is based on a standard outside of ourselves. It's a standard that says they meet the qualifications. Whether I personally know them or not, I know relationally connected people to them, and they have affirmed what is true of the character and qualities that I've seen, and therefore I affirm the individual in the process. This is why, by the way, we don't allow nominations from the floor. Because elders and the nominating committee need time to vet the person of character, of quality, of calling in the process. So as we look at this idea of the role of the elders as spiritual leaders, how might my understanding and perception of elders need adjusted? How might my understanding and perception, again, especially if we've come from abusive situations or we've seen abusive situations, we may be like, nah, I am not, because we're going to talk about the flock in 30 seconds. No, I don't, I don't like this idea. I think, I think God got it wrong. I don't know. How does it need to be adjusted? Then he goes on to the flock. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, please don't be insulted. This is not a chronological discrimination. Uh, Commentary after commentary, research after research, says that what he's referring to is the elder spiritual leadership in contrast to the flock. So the younger is just a reference to those who are part of the church. Those particularly entrusted in the local church. So let's keep that in mind as we look at these couple of topics that Peter addresses to us as a body. First of all, submission. There's our favorite word again. Our favorite word. Peter talks about it in chapter 2 when he talks about government and when he talks about employers, masters. And he talks about it in chapter 3 when we get into the marriage relationship. So our favorite topic is submission, or at least that was Peter's favorite topic. And again, let's be honest, as Americans, we cringe at the thought of submission. Think about it. Our philosophical system of America was based on not submitting. Right? We don't like what the king and queen have to say. We are not going to submit to them. Therefore, we're going to create independence. And yet, Scripture brings us back over over and over to this concept of submission. Submitting this time to our spiritual leaders, our elders. Do you recall the, the image? And this is, this is what really helps me and I hope helps us. Do you recall the image when we first started talking about submission that, that comes about through the Greek word? The reference that it had. Does anybody remember whatsoever? I didn't put it up here intentionally. No. Remember, it's a military term that means to put in order, to put in line. And the picture that I showed, remember the the almost like tortoise-type structure? The shield, the interlocking and overlapping shields that are created? Because remember, 
in, in that particular context, the, the commander of that force would put the people in order so that anything that came down on them would be sealed by the shields. So as archers are shooting from a wall, their shields are all in place to either hit and stick or ricochet or do whatever. And if one person said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm tired of carrying the shield and drops the shield and stands there in the middle of the group with no shield in front of them, what happens? One likely dies. If not from Arrow getting trampled by the army that he's with trying to accomplish the mission. So there's a sense in which it's proper placement of order. Now think about this. When we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the body image. We've talked about spiritual gifts several weeks ago. And, and, and fleshing those out. And so if the elders are the spiritual leadership looking, overseeing, watching the body, the hope would be that the elders would begin to identify in process the giftings and empowerments and callings of people. As a result, then, if the body submits to the elders, the idea is that we would be the strongest and most protected body in the process. It's making sense. I'm wondering if people are falling asleep or if uh, I'm just or if there's if it's spinning and processing. So so when we talk about submission, we're not trying to say like, okay, you need to start reading your Bible ten hours a day. I mean that would be grand and glorious. Wouldn't it if we some of us are like, please don't ever. That's like that's torture. That's another conversation. Soul care with Christina sometime. But when we begin to start talking about philosophies of ministry, when we start to talk about the needs of the body and, and, and where there's a gap in the armor or where there's a gap in ministry. Sometimes we come running up and we're like, oh, I'm excited. I want to do this thing. Do we, do we submit and trust the discernment of the elders to go, but we don't see that as the place where you need to fit in right now. We're not saying never, or maybe it looks different, and so let's talk about it. But often what happens is, is we come with some idea and we're excited about it because we feel we've been called by God, we've been gifted by God, we've been empowered by God, and we don't care what the leadership says. Because we know this is of God. Well, guess what? There's another element of knowing what God's saying, and that is community. Sometimes people leave churches because they're not willing to enter into community with the body and with the leadership. They want to do things their way. And so submitting is that reminder of going, if I trust my my spiritual leadership of the church, not mine, but our spiritual leadership of the church, if I trust them, see, there's a whole different conversation if I don't trust them. If I don't trust them, why is that? And that's a conversation that needs to be had with leadership. That I, I can't listen to what you have to say because I don't trust you. Why? What, what have we given cause for you to not trust us? But if trust is there, then if we say yes to one person and no to another, there should be no offense because there has to be a willingness to go. They are listening and looking, overseeing, shepherding, and so I'm content with either this not now or something different. What does that look like? So we're called to submit. 
We're not called to submit to abuses. We talked about that with government. We talked about it with masters. We talked about it, you know, because the other solution is, I don't want to go down the political spectrum, but if we're being asked to do something that we're convinced we're not supposed to do, we're convinced it's wrong, then submission is I take the consequences for it. Right? Remember that conversation? I submit either in doing the action or I submit in the consequences of it. So if you've got abusive leadership and you go, no, you guys are out of line. As leadership, you guys are out of line. And the consequences are something that I don't like either. Sit on the sideline. Uh, dismemberment. Well, no. Um, what would that be? Uh, you know, removal from membership. Whatever it might look like. Am I willing to take the consequences? Submission is either I do what I'm asked or if not, I, I'm willing to take the consequences for it. If I believe... If I am so convinced that this is what God has for me and leadership won't listen to me, am I willing to take the consequences for what that looks like right now? That might mean I need to change churches if I am unquestionably convinced this is of God. Unfortunately, too often we just put that label on it. This is of God. Okay. Submission. Second thing is humility. Humility. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Elders and non-elders alike. Clothe yourselves. Beautiful picture here. This picture in the Greek is of a servant taking his apron or her apron and tying it on in preparation of service. We see this in Jesus when he kneels down to wash the feet of his disciples. That's humility. That's the word picture that we get from the Greek in humility. So when we say we are supposed to be humble, clothe ourselves, clothe ourselves, put it on. Don't just talk about it. We can start talking about false humility, right? There's a lot of things, there's a lot of directions we can go. Don't talk about it, actually live it. Humility seems in my mind to be required in order to submit. Because humility says, maybe I don't know it all. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. Sometimes the greater good for the whole is significantly more than what I think I should be doing. So maybe I'm out of alignment in this particular thing. But we don't like that. Because again, it could be a confession of wrong. Confession of misunderstanding. Confession of control. Humility, though, seems to be required in order to submit. Humility acknowledges that whether whether or not I have it all figured out, I choose to relinquish control for the sake of the good of the whole. Let's just pause for a moment and think about this. If I am convinced that God has gifted me in a particular capacity, He's now changed my my life and my world in such a way that I can function in that capacity. But I also am convinced that God has called me into community at this particular body. And then I'm told no. Which goes. My conviction that I'm called to this body or my conviction that 
oh, God has gifted me and arranged the opportunity, and so now I should be. Which goes. Because if leadership has said no, do I function in humility to go, I I need to step back here. I, I need to try to understand what God is actually doing that I that I miss something. Why is leadership saying no? Did I not actually hear God call me to this body, but I came because of the music, the preaching, the snacks after service, the, you know, programs, the activities. And actually, God had called me a long time ago over here. Why? What? Because if if I've got these two situations of conviction, something's wrong in the process. Or I have to walk in humility to say they, they look, something seems to have to be wrong. But maybe it's not. I don't have it all figured out. So humility goes, I'm going to step back for the sake of the greater good until I understand clearly what it is that God is calling me to. And Peter goes on at the very end of that verse, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's paraphrasing Proverbs 3.34 and Psalm 138.6. It's quoted the same way here in 1 Peter as it is in James. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what happens when these two conflict with each other and the humble person says, okay, God, I'm just, I'm just going to wait. Well, the grace of God is poured out upon them. As opposed to the proud who says, no, I've got it figured out and here's the solution and this is what I'm doing. How often have we in our lives, don't show your hands, But how often in our lives have we been the proud person and we're like, I know this is a God. I know that he's doing this. And we take a step and then we face all of this frustration. And then we're like, I just need perseverance. So I push through and we're at the next step and we're like facing all of this opposition. And we're like, oh, I know God's called. Do we ever pause for a moment to go, maybe it's my pride that got in the way rather than humility in the process. As a flock. See, isn't it interesting? There's two things that Peter calls us to as a flock. Two. He doesn't lay out like 15 things that we need to work on and we need to grow in. Hey, by the way, you should do this and you should do this. and you should. No, two. But they're probably two of the most challenging things to do in our life. Now, let's just pause for a moment and go back to that very first word of the chapter. So, therefore, what is the premise under which Peter is talking about this? Suffering. What if your spiritual leaders, your elders, actually have the best heart and mind and interest of you in their minds? And in their pursuit of Jesus, they have our best interest. And if we would submit and humble ourselves, we would find that they are actually trying to protect us from additional trials and sufferings and frustrations rather than actually fighting against us. What if? What if part of the reason that 
that God puts a, a leadership structure in place? What if part of the reason he does that is so that we could actually be cared for and tended for and overseen that every moment of our day we're not having to look around and find where the enemy is trying to attack us because we have others that are also watching in the process. What if what Peter's contrasting in this whole thing is that you have we have a yeah we have a John here so I better not use John. Let's see here. Do we have a uh, We'll say Mark. We'll use Mark. Are you okay with that, Mark? Okay. <laughs> now i got to start to think if I remember what I was going to say. Mark is walking through this life and he's suffering. And he's got elders around him. They're going, hey, Mark. You know, we're journeying with you. We see this in your life. Or, hey, you know, attaboy, cheerleading. So there's that blend of, of both. And all of a sudden, Mark starts to go, you know, just back off me. Mark, why do you want us to back? Just back off me. Give me space. And then all of a sudden, we start going through more trials and struggles and suffering. And as we talked last week, what is our knee-jerk reaction with regard to church when suffering begins? We leave. We hold up. We, we position ourselves away from everybody. We want the corner seats at the restaurant, right? So we can see everything. Control. And the whole time, you had people looking around you, trying to protect you and help you. And then you're like, no, just leave me alone. Because now I feel like, well, maybe it's my control, my pride, my lack of humility, all that kind of stuff bubbling up. I've, I've been doing this well. Now, do we realize I've only been doing this well because of the support structure I've had around me? And then we start to kick out the support structure. And then we get upset and we're like, they're abusive. See, they just want to control every move that I make. Maybe they're trying to protect. But, but we get this arrogance about ourselves. It's human nature. It's American nature. And so what, if it look, what does it look like for Mark to, to pause and go, man, I... I got shot in the back by an arrow. I think I need more protection. Rather than less, I think I need more. What do I need to reconsider my approach to spiritual leadership? Now, Peter in this passage speaks specifically with regard to elders. We can expand that. It doesn't have to be just elders. But in God's, in God's paradigm, there is structure to the church for our good. I know of churches who have tried to do away with that structure. You know, the coach-player relationship. And inevitably, before long, the church begins to fight inwardly and basically destroy itself. Why? Because we're sheep. And we all think that we know where the best little patch of green grass is. 
God didn't put the structure in place to, to like irritate us. Oh, oh, I know how to, I know how to get under the skin of people in America. <laughs> I'll just put structure in place. <laughs> oh, he didn't do that. He said it's a way of protecting the flock. So let's celebrate that as opposed to fight against it. Look, if there's abuse, and, and even here, Zach, Larry, myself, others who are not formally in the eldership position. If there's abuse going on, call it out. I can assure you none of the three of us are arrogant enough to believe we have it all figured out. We might argue with you. We might. But if there's something abusive going on in our relationship with the flock, call it out. Because our desire, our greatest desire is for the health of the flock of OCC. Believe me, none of us are in it for control. That went out the window a long time ago. But for the health. We believe in God's work in OCC and we want to see it to its fruition. That's why we're here. They don't even get paid. I'm the only one. might my understanding or perception of elders need to adjust? Where do I need to reconsider my approach to spiritual leadership? Here's the deal. Take us back to one of the very first things that I talked about with this passage. We are under shepherds. We don't have any power in and of ourselves. We shepherd because the shepherd has invited us into that position of under shepherd. We're not, trust me, if any of us were trying to get grand, glorious accolades of praise and our names on billboards and stuff like that, we wouldn't be in this position. I'm sure there are a lot better ways to accomplish that. We serve as under shepherds, and we understand the sacrifice that the under shepherd, or that the shepherd made for us as under shepherds and for us as we believe that we will be held accountable because of the cost for the purchase of the flock. And so this morning as we, we roll, I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come up. As we roll into this time of communion and reflection on the body and blood of Christ, all of us need to understand the cost for the flock. All of us need to understand. So what we're going to do this morning is uh, Zach and Courtney and Larry and James are going to come up and we're going to hand all the elements out together. Would you just hold the elements until everyone's been served and then I will lead us through participating in the elements of communion.